Hello and welcome to the preview for Celtic's return to Scottish Premiership action at Pataudry versus Aberdeen on Saturday the 16th of December at 12.30pm. The preview, as always, is broken down into different sections. We will have Christian Wolf breaking down the stats and tactics element, giving the important numbers and how Aberdeen will set up. But first, we have Gary from the ABZ podcast to give the Aberdeen perspective. I'm joined now by Gary from the ABZ football podcast and Aberdeen fan podcast. Hello, Gary. How are you, sir? Not bad. How's you? Not too bad. Uh, excited for the restart of the uh, Scottish uh, Premiership. Very much so. Uh, quickly, have you enjoyed the World Cup from what you've saw? Um, I've got more into it in the knockout stages. I'm not going to lie. I thought the group stages were a real damp squib. And then the natural angst and anxiety that there is about being a Scotsman watching England progressing through. Uh, thankfully, has left now, so we can enjoy the last uh, the last few days. But listen, let's forget about that nonsense. It's all about the best league in the world returning on Saturday. The greatest, the GOAT League, uh, of course. Um, yeah, of course, uh, Celtic are travelling up to Pataudry uh, for the game against Aberdeen. 12.30 kick-off. Um, just talk me through how your season's gone so far. <laughs> um a tale of two halves is the best way to look at us. Home, brilliant, doing really well. Scoring goals for fun, blitzing teams, you know, doing really well. Away from home, absolute dog shit in the main. Um, are we allowed to be sweary? Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's course. fine. Uh, horrendous away from home um, in the main. Um, so, yeah, a real tale of two halves. It's, it's been a bit of an odd season, actually, from that perspective, I think. Why do you think you're so bad away from home? Is that a mentality thing or...? I don't really know. I, I can't figure it out. I don't know if it's because we're trying to play a bit too open away from home. Um, I don't know if oh, we had so many players obviously come in um, in the summer who the vast majority of them never played in Scotland before. So I don't know if it's just a, a different feel for them having to go away from home with the way that teams play is, is different, obviously, at home for us. I guess it's probably very similar to to Celtic and another team from Glasgow and that most teams come to Aberdeen and they try and sit in and they make it difficult and that's what they do and we seem to have found players who are capable now of like breaking that down and, and, and cutting through teams like that but when we go away from home where teams are maybe expecting to to have more of the ball and attack us a little bit we've got a real soft centre um, at the centre of the defence in particular and I think teams have kind of worked us out but we've been very gung-ho that's part of the problem as well if you look at a lot of our average position maps through the season Look at how attacking our full-backs or wing-backs, as they've been now, have been. They're constantly sitting on the halfway line from an average position perspective. So we are leaving ourselves wide, wide open a lot of the time. Um, so I think there's an element of that as well. Jim Goodwin spoke about it in the AGM this week that they really need to tighten up defensively away from home. And I think that's I, I think that's probably it. I, I don't think you point it as being a mentality thing, you know, because it's such a... Our away form in general for the last two or three seasons has been hopeless yeah. I mean we beat I'm trying to think what game it was now when we beat Motherwell at Fir Park earlier this season that was the first time we'd won an away game that wasn't at Livingston or Perth since December 2019 Jesus so that tells you everything so a lot of people might look at that and got some mentality thing but you know it's it's a whole different set of players it's not the same group that yeah. we have been here for that time so it's a bit weird I don't really understand it um, but Goodwin has indicated that I think he's Try to learn from that. So hopefully that'll be the case. Because if we even picked up, you know, six more points on the road or something like that, two wins, we'd be. I think we would either be sitting in second right now, or we'd be comfortably, or we'd be right behind with Rangers to come on Tuesday night as well. And so there's a real opportunity there to try and push for second place potentially. Um, it's been a weird season, yeah. From that perspective, and by hundred percent, we are backing you to push Rangers uh, for second place. Of course, um, in, in regards to we, we spoke to a Saint Mirren fan um, a couple of weeks ago um, before we lost to them, I think, <laughs> um, and he was talking about Jim Goodwin, and he was um, he was kind of uh, hi- highlighting kind of his perspective of you know Saint Mirren playing under Jim Goodwin. What's what's your perspective of Jim Goodwin? Is he the long term guy to maybe help you challenge for kind of second? I don't know. I think it's. I still think the the jury's out on Goodwin to an extent. I think, obviously, when he came in last year in February or earlier this year in February, we were in real bad shape, and we just about stumbled over the line to keep ourselves safe. Almost. Yeah. Um, I think Goodwin came in and he adopted a bit of a you know sledgehammer 
crack a nut approach. Um, I think he was very vocal with the squad that were here before about what he thought of them and who he rated and who he didn't rate. And I'm not sure that worked um, in the sense of getting people on board with him. And that's why I think we stumbled over the line. We've looked a lot better this season. It's clearly his squad, his team now. The one thing I would say is I think a lot of Aberdeen fans, myself included, when we were faced with who we were going to get into the place, Stephen Glass, the, the two that were talked about were Jack Ross and um, and Jim Goodwin. They were the two front runners the whole way through. I mean, I didn't want Jack Ross because that's just ordering Derek McInnes off wish. Um, <laughs> so didn't want that one. And Jim Goodwin was really deeply underwhelming to me as a choice. I was a bit like, I don't understand what Jim Goodwin's necessarily done to be talked about in the running for the Aberdeen job. Yeah. Um, and that maybe sounds really big-headed or whatever, or, or, or being um, a bit patronising about Simran, but I would look at it and go, I don't see a manager in there who's really, really overperformed to the extent that you would say that's the guy to push us to the next level. And I think I was really concerned as well because we took Stephen Glass in and the whole idea of the Stephen Glass experiment was this expansive brand of attacking football and the high press and all this type of stuff. And we saw it like once, maybe, or maybe twice. Um, I had the fear at the time that the board were going to go, well, that didn't work. Um, so we'll have to go back to type, which would have meant another very pragmatic Scottish manager who is going to make us tough to beat. And that's what, and I thought from that perspective, Goodwin maybe fit the bill. That was maybe what we were looking for. I have been surprised at how attacking he has made us, um, Certainly at home. And, and even we touched on it earlier on, away from home, we've been a bit gung-ho. I I assumed, and having watched a lot of St Mirren and, and, and even Aloha before that with, with Goodman and Charles, I assumed we were going to get a pragmatic safety-first manager, which has not been the case. And I can't work out if he is being tasked with... I mean, he, the board, when they appointed him, said he'd bought into the vision of us being a attacking, expansive, exciting football team to watch. But I couldn't decide if that was him just in an interview. You know, sometimes when you go for interviews at jobs and you're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and it, that, that got him in the door and then it was going to be a case of, I'll kind of, I'll work it back towards being Result, safe. Yeah. Um, and so certainly at times this season, I can't decide if he's kind of coaching against his own mindset, if you know what I mean. Like if he's actively trying to do stuff he's not comfortable with. But at the same time, I'm not seeing it. We spoke on, on our podcast last week with a guy, um, Lee Scott, who was one of the recruitment analysts at Aberdeen until recently. Oh, yeah. He was really heavily involved in the recruitment that went in the summer. And they were very clear that Goodwin's entire approach to the recruitment in, in the summer window was sign attackers. He wanted to have a bench where there was maybe three or four attacking players on. And if he only had one defender, he wasn't concerned because he wanted to know if he was drawing a game in 70 minutes, he could turn the bench and pull mm-hmm. an attacking player on the park. So from that perspective... It's been interesting. Is he still the right man? I think there's still a lot of... I, I still think there's a lot of questions out there about that, I think. It's hard to argue with where we are at yeah. this season so far. I mean, we're third spot in the semi-finals of the League Cup. It's about as good, I think, as we could have hoped for, given the number of players who went out the door and who came in the door in the summer. Um, but we're still very much work in progress. Yeah, still question marks there, I can imagine. Um, I mean, just looking at some of your results, I mean, I was having a gander. Um, you know, Motherwell away, you win, as you mentioned, then you go to Ibrooks and you lose, and then you beat Hibs at home, and then it's a defeat away to Livingston, and then obviously Dundee United was your, was your last game. You also yeah. seem to have switched from a, a back four at the start of the season to a back three. Has that had a, an impact? So that's purely as a result of the absolute horror show we had at Tanadice. Um you know, where we turn up in great numbers, expecting to really put United to the sword, United team who were really struggling at that point. Yeah. We'd come off of a, I think we'd come off of a couple of wins, I think, possibly. Um, obviously, you know, a relatively local geographic derby, big game for both teams. We'd Saturday night under the lights of Tanadice, you expect, here we go, we can really kind of put one over them. And 4 0 defeat was not on the, well, I'm saying it's not on the cards. I mean, well, on one hand, it probably was actually we watched us for a bit this season, but United figured out how to play us, and straight after that game, it was back to this back three now. Um, it's probably made us a little bit more solid, I think, defensively. Um, I'm saying that despite the fact we went to Ibrox and then it was four going on about nine or ten. Yeah. To be honest, it was probably our worst performance. A, a, a lot of Aberdeen fans will say that United performance was the worst performance of the season. For me, Ibrox was worse because everybody could see it happening and we didn't 
change a thing until about the 69th, 70th minute, I think. Yeah. Um, when we were already three down, they'd already missed a penalty. It was like way too late to change this now. Um, so the back three has certainly helped us. What the back three has helped us do is helped us get two up top, which has also been a big shift for us now. So we've got Duke and Miofsky as our front two, um, and they're a lot of fun to watch together. Um, so that's been a positive out of that. Um, but this is, this would be interesting what happens on Saturday, actually, about what system we decide to go with. Yeah, um, Miofsky seems to be getting all the kind of headlines. He's scoring for fun. He's, he's performing really, really well. Would you expect to... There's been a lot of interest um, kind of mentioned. Obviously, Dave Cormack said at the press conference, you've got him under... Co- uh, the, sorry, AGM. Got him under contract. You know, he's our player, and, and rightfully so. But do you think there might be potential for him to be head-turned, or at least to the summer or January? I mean, Miofsky's been in the press as well saying his full focus is on staying at Aberdeen for the season. Um, he anticip- That's what he wants to do. Like, players are always going to say that, though, aren't yeah. they? Um, I guess it depends on what happens, really. I mean, there's already talk about Stadry. I'm looking at him. You know, there was talk in the, the press about there being like a £4 million offer coming in from him in January, which would be a tenfold increase on the amount we paid for him just six months ago. So, from a club perspective, it's hard to turn down a 10 times, you know, a tenfold uh, return on an investment six months after you've paid that money out. That's that's hard to turn away, I think. But yeah. at the same time, we really need to get back into Europe this season. We've really suffered by not being in European football um, this season. It's been really galling to watch, especially Hearts have guaranteed football up until the World Cup break in Europe, which we've been knocking on that door now for like six or seven seasons and not quite getting there. And we, to be fair to Aberdeen, we'd been performing roughly to our coefficient level we were we weren't underperforming in any way we were kind of doing as much as we could probably do i think knocking on the door getting closer and closer just not quite happening for us and in the season where it was like you're guaranteed that no matter what happens we kind of fall away from it hearts have reaped the rewards from that from a financial perspective i think that's still in play for next season depends obviously who wins the scottish cup um but let's just say for argument's sake it's seller Rangers who win the scottish cup i think then third place will be guaranteed uh, European football till Christmas again next season. So it's massive for us to get back into Europe. So that I think the board would have to really weigh that up quite heavily in January. If somebody did come in from Miofsky with the sort of money they're talking about, whether they would say, right, we'll let it happen, but it's on condition he stays till the end of the season. Um, he's loaned back to us or whatever. Or hopefully maybe our um, scouting team, our recruitment team have already lined up the next Oyan and we can maybe execute on that who knows it'll be interesting to see what happens i think all of us on our pod we've kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that we'll have to enjoy Mayovsky while he's here yeah i, I mean we are <clears throat> obviously juranovic is having the world cup of his dreams we've got him under contract good assist last night for the goal that um alvarez scored must have <laughs> yeah um it's it's one of those where you know you, our manager said to us we want to be agile and we want to kind of trade our, our player trading really has to change and stuff which is fine do you look at from a perspective of you know maybe your budgets you look at the players we've brought in from japan and where celtic seem to be really kind of looking under every rock for a kind of star is that what you guys should be doing as well is it something you, you talk about because there's a lot of markets out there that even we're just looking at thinking actually there's value for money here that's what we're doing now i mean that that last summer we ripped up our entire recruitment um strategy and team uh just before Stephen glass came in darren mowbray came in as our new head of recruitment um september last year so he missed the summer window so this summer has been the first opportunity he's had to really get into the weeds and the chat we had with lee scott who'd like to say he was a recruitment analyst who'd be part of the club during us just shows how wildly different our recruitment um approach is now you know we, we picked up miofsky and um ramadani from the hungarian premier league if if you know Scottish football, you look at Aberdeen for the last, well, ever since I've followed them, we had a brief foray into the Dutch market in the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s, with great success. Did really yeah. well out of that. Um, then the mid-90s, we kind of followed every other team in Scotland and just signed a whole bunch of foreign duds who were just horseshit and cost a lot of money. Um, we had the spell Ebb, where we kind of did the same thing. Craig Hignett, then... Hignett on a free, you know? Yeah. And then since then, um, we've been very British Isles dominated in terms of recruitment. If you're a clogger in League Two, there's a, in England, there's a good chance Derek McInnes will try and sign you. Um, or if you've already played for us before with mis- mixed success and you're available again, Derek McInnes will probably try and sign you again. So for us, it's been a real breath of fresh air this season. Our recruitment's been 
really different. And speaking to the guys, I mean, we've picked up Duke from the Portuguese B League. Yeah. Um, he was playing for Benfica B there. Um, and he's been a revelation. Like He was brought in as a project player. Yeah. Um, if that's a project player, then I'd like to see us get the finished article um, because he's been brilliant. Um, so I think that there's definitely a lot more work from us. We've got scouts now apparently across Europe, um, which we've never really had before. I'd like to see us looking, taking a similar approach to, to, to yourselves as well, and looking especially into some markets in the Far East as well and seeing if there's some value to be had out there. I guess the difficulty for us will probably be trying to convince players who are uh, going to qualify for permits and stuff are probably outside of our price range, I would imagine, because you're looking at international players, etc., players who are on the cusp of internationals, which we probably couldn't afford from that from that market. But yeah, I think there's a lot to be said um, for the approach Celtic have taken, not just in recent seasons. I mean, you, you guys have been pretty good at that for a while now and picking up players from unfashionable leagues yeah. um, and, and turning them over after a few seasons. So I think that very much is the model we're going for now. Yeah, great. I mean, you know, we we speak to uh, different kind of uh, fan podcasts on a, on a weekly basis and you can hear some of the frustration and some of the, you know, you said it yourself, there's some absolute cloggers in our league. There's some quality players as well. Uh, the, the league is the league as a whole, I think, is is far better than people give it credit for. But there are some players that I look at and I think, Jesus, what the hell are you doing in our league? Uh, I just want to ha- highlight the... Um, I remember the No More Celtic Loans banner. I don't know if that was like just a small part of the support or the wide support, wider support kind of ag- agreed with it. Is that is that something, again, that you kind of get behind or what's your thoughts? I, I don't think it was so much No More Celtic Loans. I think it was really more No More Loans from anyone in the same league that we're in. You know, it just so happens it's been Celtic who we've loaned players from more yeah. recently. Um, I'm absolutely behind that because case in point, it's going to be Saturday where our arguably our best centre half um, in our squad this season is unavailable to us to play on Saturday. Um, and and the second part of this is, is very much of our own making. As a recruitment team um, or as a manager, we haven't got enough depth in the centre-back areas to cover for this now. So we touched on it early on. You know, we've, we've switched to this three at the back. Liam Scales plays on the left-hand side of that three. Um, him now missing on Saturday means that we have a big decision to make about whether we go back to back four and play with uh, Anthony Stewart and Ross McCrory as our two centre halves, which is suboptimal. Let's be polite about it. Um, if we try, and because the reason we've moved to a back three is to protect Anthony Stewart and his inability to play with the ball at his feet. Right, as a defender, he's, he's really, really good, but yeah. try asking him to do anything with the ball at his feet is just not happening. So he's the reason we switched to back three is effectively to try and protect Stuart. So we either move back to back four and, and it's a two, uh, which doesn't really work for us, especially because Celtic are obviously so well-renowned for your high press and your high turnovers, which is, I think, we looked at the preview for this week. I think you guys have like scored nine goals from high turnovers or six goals from high turnovers yeah. this season. So by far the league leaders in that metric. So it's something we have to be very care- uh, careful in our, is our possession in and around our own half. By playing with a two, I think we expose ourselves really badly to being caught with that. The flip side is you keep with the three, but we don't have a natural left-sided centre-half in the squad ready to step in. We've got a kid in Jack Milne who is very talented, has got a lot of promise about him, but he's only played 63 minutes of top of professional football in his career. So it's a massive ass to say to him, on you go, son. Yeah. Or you've got a Jack McKenzie who's really a left-back, left-wing-back, um, maybe has the stature to play but hasn't played I'm pretty certain for Aberdeen in the first team so far so either of those scenarios are suboptimal the problem as well by moving to a back four is you probably end up having to take the Duke Miofsky partnership out of the you probably have to take them out of the team because I can't see them a flat four four two. so it's a long way to get around to this is why the idea of loaning players from teams in our league whether it's Celtic whether it's Hearts Hibs the other mob whatever doesn't really appeal any longer because we saw it with Ryan Christie as well you know that was the big thing for us the biggest issue we had with the Ryan Christie loan move was obviously the fact that Christie when he was here was brilliant he was on the periphery of Celtic at the time and was really instrumental in getting us to that Scottish Cup final in 2017 and then we get to the, the Cup final and arguably our most creative player at that point is unavailable to us in what is the biggest game of our season yeah um, and then just, you know, to cap it all off, we think we have secured a deal to sign him permanently. It falls through and he scores the winning goal against us in a cut final. So it's like, you know, 
Thanks. <laughs> Nightmare. What are we actually getting out of this? Yeah. You know? um, Liam Scales, is he someone that you would like to make full-time permanent? To any Celtic fans listening to it on the, the board, if you happen to listen to it, uh, Liam Scales has been rotten. <laughs> um, you should sell him to us for 50 quid and be glad to get rid of him. Uh, I think, uh, to be honest, I think a lot of people would be happy with that. Uh, his, he didn't particularly perform well f- for us. I, I, I don't think he got a, a run of games, and I, th- I think he's clearly a talented player. Um, I think there's a kind of difference between having to deal with that pressure at Celtic, maybe obviously differently from Aberdeen, but he's clearly a talented player. I, I mean, I don't know whether Celtic would be wanting to do business because um, I think we're all very aware that he wasn't an Ange Postacoglu signing. He was brought in by our chairman, so... You know, if we're making a kind of cull of players leaving, you may have a good chance. I mean, what what is the sort of value you would kind of be able to pay out? You, you mentioned, obviously, you, you paid a, a fair whack of, like, £400,000 for Miofsky. Is that kind of your top kind of limit for players? I mean, speaking to, recruit, speaking to the recruitment analyst last week, I think we're working in the market now between 500 and a million. It's, it's probably the mark. If, if there was a good enough player out there that we thought we had enough opportunity to get a return on I think this, the board would potentially be convincible, that's not even a word but never mind, to stretch themselves if they felt that that was an option um, in terms of Liam Scales this is this is the massive difficulty and again we spoke about we were doing our kind of like review of the, the summer business we did a couple of weeks back and I think the, the biggest issue, well, not the biggest issue but one of the bigger issues as well with the Scales loan move has been the fact that there's not an agreement or an obligation or an option to buy. Yeah in that loan I think that it would have been so much more palatable to Aberdeen fans if we'd gone okay for a season we might have to stick with this nonsense where we can't play him in certain games but if he performs we can maybe buy him for 300, 400 grand or something at the end of the season I think that would have been more palatable to a lot of people Um, and I know that we were trying really really hard to get him on a permanent and it just didn't happen Um, my concern now is that he's done well enough at Aberdeen that Either Celtic look in January and go, we recall him with a view to try to sell him um, and just make a quick buck because he's done well. And if that happens, I, I'm concerned we maybe wouldn't have the money um, right now to, to to make that permanent deal. And then if it goes to summer, I think it's probably the same as well. But it's just disappointing. For, I, I actually get the feeling that Scales is enjoying his football here. I think that I, I, I suspect possibly as well, being at Celtic and being in that environment has probably helped him come to Aberdeen because it's not, you know... It, it's not dissimilar, you know. There's a there's a huge pressure to play for Aberdeen in in this city because it's a one you know a one club city. Um, sorry to any Cove Rangers fans that may be listening, but it is. Um, there is still that pressure to perform here, and I think possibly him being at Celtic has maybe helped him with that expectation level a little bit. Um, he's done really well. He's he's done really really well. I've been pleasantly surprised by him because I I watched a little bit. Of you guys, particularly in Europe last season, where he got more of a run, and I think he got unfairly held out hung out to dry a little bit for the Bodo Glimp games I'm not entirely sure it was necessarily his fault a lot of what happened there I, I don't think um, to, see, to, see to be fair I don't think for the Bodo Glimp games I don't think anyone would blame him I think we very much blame the manager for that one which yeah. that was a really odd situation Um, he's done well for us I'd love to see him turn into a permanent deal but I'm just not sure I see it happening unfortunately uh, it's interesting because you guys have bought more another left sided centre half in uh, Kobayashi so you know he's slipped so far down the pecking order now he's behind Stephen Welsh for goodness sakes so yeah. you know I mean uh, Stephen Welsh doesn't make our bench now so you know and yeah. he, yeah, you know, you're right he is, he is behind him and we've got a couple of young there's a couple of young players that we've got in our uh, kind of development team that I think will potentially push forward so I think you're probably right in that Celtic will be willing to do business whether it is January or whether it is summer and if he is a good player I'm all for strengthening our league by you know selling if it's £400,000 to Aberdeen or £600,000 to Peterborough I'd rather we sold to Aberdeen with the you know the idea that we can develop help to kind of give keep good players in the league essentially we should get a discount as well because his haircut is terrible terrible haircut so that means a discount horrendous Uh, just uh, as we're kind of finishing up um, well actually just before we do Dave Cormack you know fresh ideas or the same old stuff what's your thoughts uh, oh, Dave. Um, <laughs> Dave's a, he's a bit of a maverick, isn't he? Is the best way to look at him. Um, it's its one of the, having gone through the Stuart Mill era for so long, um, you kind of want a chairman sometimes who'd be a bit more like out there and a bit more in the press. And then um, there was the BBC Sports Sound one last season after the Dundee game when he went on the radio. And you're like, ah, I Me. don't want to hear my chairman doing that. Thanks very much because that's just a bit mad. Um, I don't know. 
Dave really, really splits opinion, I think, amongst the Aberdeen support. I think on one hand, he's got lots of positive ideas and I think he's trying to to freshen things up, not just at Aberdeen, but within Scottish football as well. I think he's trying to bring different ideas to the table. I do possibly think he's maybe lived in the States for too long and has got a very US specific view about how certain things like work, like how sports and everything works in the US compared to here. And so some of the stuff doesn't really translate and doesn't quite work out. But like the positive stuff has been, you know, we the support have been crying out for like a true like a singing area, whatever you want to call it, um, for years and years and years. And everyone had naturally looked at the Merkland end as being the, the, the best place to do it. It's very reminiscent of the shed at United for a number of different reasons. It was the natural place to try and do it. The family end was that was where the family end was previously located. So to be fair to Dave and to Rob Wicks, the commercial director, they did make that happen. Um it's not officially safe standing. Um they don't put in, you know, um real seats or anything like that in there, but it's unallocated. Um, it's quite soft. I'm gonna say <laughs> any Aberdeen fan listening to me who sits in the Merkwin is gonna be laughing when I say it's quite soft touch stewarding. Like you're not getting told to sit in your arse all the time. Um they are still a bit overzealous but other stuff, but um, so there's things like that are positive that that has improved I think the kind of match day atmosphere at the ground I think um, which is good because if you've visited Pathology before you know it's not the most atmospheric of grounds <laughs> in the home end a lot of the time um, so on that side yeah good positive stuff I think on the fan engagement stuff you know the club did a, a ton of really good work in, uh, during Covid in the local community and stuff like that which the, the club should be applauded for yeah. um, Dave obviously came in and he helped fund or, or fill the gap in the funding for the training ground so again he deserves a lot of credit for, for that he has brought fresh investment into the club which is good we've ripped up the club structure we're looking to try and do things in a more continental manner good all that stuff's good um, the new stadium stuff's a bit you know a bit bonkers still. Um, but don't really know what's really going on with that at the moment. Some of the decision making, um, the appointment of Stephen Glass is a huge question mark still. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. I don't know. He's an interesting character, Dave. Um. I've, I've not really given you an answer there. I've just <laughs> waffled for a lot of time because I still can't make my mind up. Yeah, like like we've got a we've got a guy who's the highest um kind of shareholder at our club who half the support despise and half the sport yeah. like so you know it's it's weird i think to be honest if you want to put yourself in a place of being like the majority shareholder or a chairman or the owner of a football club you kind of never i think you probably have to very quickly um realize you're never going to satisfy everybody yeah and that this is probably just a way to make yourself poorer um <laughs> you know in fairness to dave cormack the one thing i'd absolutely say about him is he's putting his own cash you know in the door and i don't think he's expecting to get any sort of proper return out of it um so you can't, you know, you can't, you, you can't look at that negatively. Um, so the game on Saturday, uh, you think, you know, you've you've mentioned Duke, you've mentioned uh, Majofsky, any other kind of key players that you think could make a difference? So I think it's going to depend how we decide to approach the game. I think um, this is Jim Goodwin's first game at home against Celtic or Rangers since he took the Aberdeen job. So it's a massive game for Jim from that perspective in terms of his standing with the support I think just in terms of how he decides to approach this we went to Ibrox and we went really gung-ho um, and on one hand you're like good on you mate like you've gone and had to go but at the same time it was like that was really fucking stupid um, because whilst Rangers were at that point going through their hilarious uh, European Champions League run um, they were still doing alright in the league they were still grinding at results yeah. um, so it was a, I don't know it was a bit naive <sighs> I think he's got he's got a huge, huge problem on Saturday in the sense of the, how he deals with the system, how he deals with Liam Scales being out of the team, um, what that does in terms of his mentality about how we set up. If we decide to try and have a go, then there are guys like uh, Connor Barron, who um, has come back into the team recently uh, after an injury, who's been uh, decent since he's come back in, and Leighton Clarkson, who's our lone player from Liverpool, um, who's done really, really well since he's come in the door. They're both sitting in the midfield alongside uh, Ilba Ramadani. Those two in particular, I think, are good. Ilber Ramadan is a, a really good player, but he's a holding kind of midfielder type, so he's not going to light up a game. Um, but the main two are Duke and Miofsky. A Duke by a mile. He's just so much fun. Um, it's been a while since we've seen that we've had a player like that at, at Aberdeen who genuinely gets you know people's backsides off their seats and and all that kind of good stuff. So um, if we try and have a go, then Miofsky and Duke are going to be the two to watch. I think. I wonder if Jota knows Duke. I suspect they, I mean, they, they surely must do. They, I think because Duke's been around the Benfica side for 
well. years. Yeah. Um, just never quite made the step up to first team um, at Benfica. So he must, they must be aware of each other, I thought. But but Jota's a wee bit older than he looks, isn't he? I think. Yeah, I think he's 23. 23 yeah. 23. So I don't know. Maybe they're not quite there at age levels. But yeah, I'm sure they do. Um, we've house. Uh, final question for you. Prediction for the game. Oh, oh prediction. Um, I have, I, I can never do anything but back my team, which means they look really stupid sometimes. Um, I'm going to say we're going to get fortunate and we'll maybe catch you guys a little bit cold actually on that before i say that what's this what's the scoop with um your boys from the world cup like so i made uh moy and carter vickers in particular are they back are they going to be involved or they've been given a bit of a, a break uh, as far as we're aware um i think they're going to wait till um it, I, i'm pretty sure moy and it, mo, they've, they've been given days off i think they're coming back to train they might train on you know friday or whatever but I don't think he'll put them in if he has to. I think they might be on the bench. Uh, we played a friendly on Saturday and it was uh, Starfield and Jens um, at okay. centre half. So, uh, I mean, so I think Carter Vickers is the best defender in the league. So it's, you know, it would be ideal if he was back and, and firing. But I'm not sure that the manager will use him if they don't have to. So maybe on the bench, Maida maybe come on, but more than likely that they probably won't be involved. I suspect... If that's the case as well, you know, attack's going to probably have to be our best form of defence, I think. Because we're weakened at the back anyway, it's like, well, you might as well go and have a go. Yeah. You, you might as well, especially if you're potentially not as uh, full strength at the back. We might as well go and have a bash at it. So hopefully that is what happens. On that basis, I'm going to say uh, Aberdeen 2, Celtic 1. You gave us a go, and that's all we can ask for. Uh, well, because we don't keep clean sheets, so... <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, Gary, this has been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for getting involved, sir. Not a problem. Nice one. Joining me now, as always, is the wonderful Christian Wolf. As we look at uh, the stats and tactics side of Celtic, their trip to Aberdeen. Hello, Christian. How are you? Hello, Christopher. Yes, stats and tactics. They're back. They've taken a break, but now they're back. We're back. We're ready to rock. Let's get Ange Ball rolling. Because uh, it's the only ball in town? I don't know. Um, just about a play on uh, over across the road. Um, Christian, we go What to... is Ange going to be wearing? Well, that's that's what I'm thinking. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, get the players in suits. Get them. Uh, get the brogues on and get them out on that bloody pitch. I, I, I enjoyed your little uh, meme tweet there <laughs> during the Irish's game. That, that was quite good. It would have been no. better. <laughs> <laughs> would have been better if they lost. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> but uh, you, you can't take, you can't waste a good meme. Right, at least if you get it out when they're trailing, that's enough. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 st- I stick by it. Um, Celtic are uh, playing against Aberdeen at Patodri, as mentioned. Half, half twelve kickoff. Um, before we break down uh, the numbers and and, and stuff, uh, Christian, is this a good or is this a bad way to start the second half of the campaign? I think it's. An interesting way to start it. I think you always just choose a home game, don't yeah. you? But having said that, I don't think Celtic's been kind of results-wise anyway, been a bit odd in that they've done the job pretty much at home, quite functionally. I mean, I guess except Rangers and Hibs. And away, sometimes I've... In parts, they've seemed more convincing away in a few games. And also, there's been a few struggles away as well. But I think a lot of some of Celtic's struggles so far, and that sounds weird, having won 14 out of 15. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's been a couple of hairy moments, I guess. As we've talked about a lot, you know, doing the Beyond the Scoreboard review and everything, there has been a lot of changes, especially in midfield and at the fullbacks. I think that that will have caused some of those issues. So what I'm interested about here is that I think you'll have as good a team as you can. It looks like McGregor is back. Okay, you can CCB is probably one, Juranovic, but I think what you'll see here is a Celtic at this part of the season where you have less rotation. And especially, I think, in midfield with McGregor back. So I think that's, no matter who the opponent is, I think that's a really good thing for Celtic. Aberdeen itself, 
it's, it's one of those where I think it's I overall I think having watched Aberdeen, I always thought this is what we're going to be talking about stuff. I'm I'm quite optimistic in terms of the way Aberdeen at least set up for the break and how they were playing because because if if they repeat some of that, I think there's it could be a lot of fun, right? And but then again, you go, would you start uh, if you had the choice? Would you start Pintodri away enough? Probably not. Even with how good the result Celtic has been getting there, you probably wouldn't, would you? Yeah. But um, why not? You know, just just. I mean, on paper, this is supposed to be the you know second toughest, second or third toughest away game uh, you can have. Uh, the fixture you can have in the leagues, yes. So why not? Yeah. Just yeah. line it up, knock it down. Yeah, I, I always, um, I weirdly always enjoy going Celtic going to Pataudry because it's always a. It's, it's a place where we kind of express ourselves quite well. So there's a lot of high scoring guilt games. We uh, tend to concede a lot there as well. But um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's good. Um, ov- obviously, we, we've spoke to uh, Gary from the ABZ podcast, which is coming up just after this. But he highlighted very clearly that Aberdeen at Pataudry are performing pretty damn well away from home. They are not. Uh, you know, they, they are performing poorly can you see that in the numbers let's talk about the numbers and stuff and 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 stats let's talk about stats i think but overall this is one of the weirder teams in the league i've seen so in terms of stats like because honestly they're all over the place this is a team that's all over the uh, place stat voice and what i kind of mean by that obviously if you take it from the top in terms of okay they the third in the league. Uh, Stephen Russell had them fourth on expected points, just a couple behind uh, <laughs> Hibernian. Uh, so, so and the XG, you know, in terms of the XG, different expected goal difference, uh, we have them fifth. So, yeah, I mean, so they're roughly where, where they, quote-unquote, should be. But if you dig it just one level deeper than that, it's, it's all sort of things happening. And it is... Like Gary, and, and I thought that was a really good, um, you know, s- segment with him as well, because a lot of the things he he said kind of comes true to me in the stats as well. And it is, this is a team offensively who's doing pretty well, right? So they're fourth in expected goals created, fourth in shots in terms of that average chance quality they create. They're second, you know. So so, so that's. You know, when they do create chances, they're a really high quality. And that's something they did, but they don't actually get into the positions half and their final third that much, the ninth in those kind of things. So you go like, it kind of to me smacks a little bit of a counter attacking team as well. Yeah. But the interesting thing, if you look at their defensively, and it's the first time I really looked at Aberdeen defensively this season, in terms of XG conceded, but let's play a little fun stack game. Where do you think they are in terms of the league, in terms of XG conceded? So the, the all the chances, the quality of the chances they conceded so far. I think they don't concede a lot. So I think they will be mid-table, fifth, sixth. They're second worst. Oh, wow. I kid you not. Um, oh, wow. And I think obviously they've had a couple of big like against the Rangers specifically, you know, they lost 4 1, but the XG was even higher. But it, it's XG conceded 11 shots against eighth in terms of the eighth, um, you know, worst in, in that regard. The same with the average chance quality against it's, it's the second highest in the league. And you have like allowing teams into their own half, you know, fourth highest into the final third, sixth. So this is a team who's doing really well offensively, but they're not very good defensively. So, and I think that kind of comes through what what Gary was saying as well, that it's very up and down, right? And if you look at some of their possession stats to kind of get, uh, you know, is there something specific happening there? It's it's not really. I mean, they have the fifth most passes. They have the fourth highest possession. The same, like with like the pressing stats, it's it's just mid-table. So, but it's like, so there's nothing like saying, okay, the trying to keep the ball a lot or playing really direct is they're in between. But what really stands out is like, like good offensively creating really high quality chances, 
but they're le- defensively they're, they're, they're leaking a lot really so see that sort of kind of sitting in between um everything does that say to you that there's not quite the defined style yet that goodwin's got in place well, i also think like watching like the first home game of the season for example and then watching them against Rangers and, and Hibs recently, like two completely different teams in terms of that formation and, and the way they played. And we'll come back to it, but it's like the, the way they set up against Rangers and Hibs, well, essentially by going to that back tree, I can see why they create a lot and why they concede a lot of chances. So I, I think there's a lot to do with the exact way that Goodwin has set up. And what I thought was interesting, and you know, we had Gary on from the Aberdeen podcast and said, Goodwin it's not somebody we so so we know him as you know from the St. Mary manager. So he's he knows how to set up a team, he knows how to make it difficult for, for Celtic and, and other big teams, and you have that organization. But he seemed he was hired very much on a agenda of, of providing providing attacking football. And and that's what you know the, the board and everything Aberdeen wants. And to be fair, like, but this is entertaining. <laughs> I don't know in terms of watching them, it is entertaining enough, but it's not very controlled or very, I was going to say it's not very thought out. There's a lot of issues with the way Goodwin plays. There's some advantages to it that we can get to, but there's the spaces they leave against, for example, Rangers. And I think also Hibs. I think this is kind of style that will, if they have the better players on the pitch, and I know they've said like the, the struggle away and stuff like that, but I think overall, if you play this way, you will create a lot against lesser teams, but if you try to play against like this against the better teams, I mean, you kind of get a doing like they did at Ibrox. I don't think that doing Ibrox were coincidence at all, and that was Rangers in in a bad patch of form. But I just think they couldn't avoid it in terms of how they were setting up. Do you know? And I I don't mean this disrespectfully to Good Goodwin, <laughs> um, <laughs> but when when you're describing some of these kind of attributes about having the best players on the pitch and you know really attacking style, but it kind of reminds me of Lee. Say it. Say it. It, it reminds me of Neil Lennon, Celtic. I, I, I thought you were going to say Derek McInnes' Aberdeen. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, it's, we've talked a lot about this a lot in terms of there's that fine balance of how to try to get three points against Celtic and risking it doing it at the same time. Or try to minimize and you can maybe get a point, but you know, you're essentially settling for a, like a low scoring defeat. Yeah. I see a lot of this and and the system. I think if Goodwin continues what he did before the break, you have that situation where I think seven, eight tight seven, eight times out of ten, Celtic roll them over, like properly roll them over, especially if you have to get an early goal as well. But the system at the same time have the capability of hurting you on the day in terms of how they set up and the way they put the the players, how they attack and how to defend as well. So, yeah, it's a bit Lennesque like that. Um, But I I do think what we talked about, you know, the defensive side of Aberdeen there, what's kind of, I think, kept them afloat quite a bit is that they've conceded 28 XG, but they only let in 19 goals. Now we're talking non-penalties here. Mm-hmm. And if you go and look at like the bit more advanced shot-stopping stats, like, I've got to mispronounce his name, but Kelly Roos, in terms of their goalkeeper, obviously came up from, I think oh. he's been on the books at Derby yeah, for, for ages. He's like 30 years old. But in terms of shot-stopping stats in the league, he, he's literally in a league of his not literally in a league of his own, metaphorically in, in a league of his own uh, when it comes to that. So he's, in terms of what he's been expected to save and what he has saved, he's essentially saved Aberdeen 4.7 goals so far. That's a lot. And, and the one, you know, you look at the goal, it's, it's him, and then it's quite a huge gap down to uh, a gang of four, essentially, in the league, which is Trevor Carson, Greg Gordon, Joe Hart, and Mark. Brickitty, um, at Dundee United, who's all kind of like the next spots, but they're like they're way below him. They're all they're like just above and under average in terms of what I expected. He's 
is, is way above. And I've, I've gone through and looked at his saves and like, he's got a couple of good saves, but I also think there's a lot of, there's a little bit of randomness coming because you just look at some of the big chances against Aberdeen away. There's a couple of huge misses there in terms of the oppositions. I think it was especially one of the, a harsh one. So I think they are riding their luck defensively a little bit, even with games like Rangers uh, as well. So I think there is a soft underbelly. Like, they got a decent keeper, but I also think you know they, they can't keep conceding that rate of chances because they're going to get another doing at some point. Uh, obviously, Liam Scales, have you been just an update, the games you've watched, uh, performing well? I mean, it's not necessarily to the standard of you know being a first-choice pick for Celtic, but performing well for them? Yeah, I think I think it's we'll get to the back three, right? I think Gary, who, who said he was on the uh, again on the podcast, saying he's he's been their best central defender, and from what I see, I think that's I think that's correct. Although I think it's slightly damning with faint praise, right? Because the two other ones are not great, McCrory and Stewart, like at all for me. Um, and the thing with the back three at Aberdeen, especially now, is that. <laughs> it's weird because okay, you're playing a uh, scales was playing left side the centre back, but he was also like tasked with going out and pushing out on on opposition winger. So he's playing a system where there's huge spaces between the back three, especially because he you know it's, it's kind of like the play kind of I want to say the three four one two formation, but the the nominal wing backs they're not they're more like. It, it's it's weird that like the they often don't fall down. It's often up to the the centre back like scales to jump out on the winger, and he's created so much space. I think it's a really difficult role for him to play because he has to cover a lot of ground, yeah. and that the defence is not really drilled. So, I, I think he's what I've seen is done as well as he can in a difficult system. But I do think as well he's I, I think being a centre back suits him better than being a left back, especially a left back at Celtic. So, yeah, I think. You know, I think this sounds very patronizing, but I think this is his level. I think he can do well at that level. And, you know, and it's, you know, that's a club he can get, have, have a really good kind of career at, you know, at the step below Celtic and Rangers and, and, and the chinch. So the sink, the chinch. I always want to say chinch. chinch. It's, it's, that's the, that's the sink, but it's, it's, yeah. it's cinch. I'm not happy with that. That I'll I'll I'll, huh? I'll I'll get my sister to uh, speak to Rylan and uh, yeah, okay, she'll thanks. she'll get it, she'll pass it on. Um, the back from so for the change um, again something else quite Lennon esque the change from the back four to the back three um, it's come with you know some good results and some some bad results. Gary was kind of highlighting the fact that after the Dundee United game they kind of had to do something uh, where they they took a bit of a doing at Tanadice. Um, what's your thoughts on that on that switch? Let me take you. A trip down memory lane, uh, Christopher. A warm July Oof. Uh, afternoon in uh, the first game of the season when uh, Aberdeen faced Celtic at Celtic Park. And they played, because the reason I wanted to go back and, and look at that, because it was so different to what I saw against Rangers and, and, and Hibs. And I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm still, is there a chance that Goodman's going to switch their back four against Celtic, especially with scales out? Because you know, there's they have the three centre backs, and after them, it's it's a bit of thin pickings. So you might have to lean on somebody like a youngster, for example. So I went back and I was like, the, the really weird thing in that was that they had kind of like a so they had a, a four four one one, and what they essentially what happened in that game, especially at the start, was that the right sided. Essentially, the winger, the right winger, was just Matty Kennedy in that game. He was tasked with blocking the pass out to Celtic winger. So it was like Maeda and, and Jota at that point. So essentially, they, they had this really rigid block. So what happened was that as soon as Greg Taylor just went inwards, Matty Kennedy didn't come with him. So Taylor and Hatate had, had so much space because there were just two against one against Ramadani in the central midfield all the time. And Stephen Welsh was the left side of centre-back that game and he he could pick passes all the time, all the time. Because Matty Kennedy was standing in this Richard blocks, stopping the pass to Yota. Yeah. Uh, and Celtic just killed him. In, in that. So it was 
because that really surprised me at the time because I thought like, okay, we're going to see a more offensive Goodwin. We didn't. We saw quite a low block, but it wasn't well organized at all. It, it was. I, I think Celtic did actually started that game really game. It's, it's a game where Greg Taylor like lived in the half space. We look at his pass map. He, he he received so many balls centrally, and it's because the Aberdeen players just you know they weren't they weren't following him, but nobody was actually picking up either. It, it was it's kind of bizarre. So that was a really effective tool. In it. Taylor came in. They had overloads in the middle. Taylor was really, I think that's always his first game of the season. He kind of set the tone that game because he, he found the spaces. He found those pockets inwards. He had some great passes. Matt O'Reilly came over a lot to that side. And they, you know, there was just like something wild in the first 20 minutes, like 75% of all Celtics passes was on the left, down the left-hand side. So I think they crushed him essentially. So that was a really odd system from Aberdeen because I thought a block it didn't work really well and you kind of expected more from Goodwin in terms of that organisation and then as you say they have to have this switch to three at the back and we can go into more detail from it but what you saw against away against Rangers in terms of setting up against Rangers was completely different to how they set up against Celtics so I kind of go and they got doing at Ibrox as well. So the interesting thing for me would be like, what do they choose on Saturday? What do you think they'll choose? I I kind of hope to go with a back three. And I kind of, what Gary said on the podcast as well, the kind of, maybe maybe he'll go, look, it's the first game after like another preseason essentially. Juranovic is not there. CCV is not there. I think he'll just say, look, just go and attack them. It's up here, Let's just go and do it, and uh, and I think he will go with the trader back. Um, and if he does, I mean, uh, it could be fun, right? So I, I don't know. Essentially, well, there's two things: will he go with the trader back, and will he make them be press as high up as they did against Rangers? And also how high did, did he go? Because I watched the Rangers match and it's like, I was like, no way they're going to do this again. No way. But then I saw the Hibs match and they did it again and they won 4-1. And I was like, hold on. Maybe there's a chance that they'll go and do it. And I really hope they do it because what you essentially have, I guess Rangers you saw quite well because obviously Rangers plays a 4-3-3 as well. So essentially the way Aberdeen is setting up now is that you have um, Mavovsky, Boyjan and Duke, which I think we're calling him, Luis Lopez, uh, Lopez, uh, but let's call him Duke, as the two strikers. And then the, the proper, proper two on top, right? And if you look at their, like, the, the heat maps and pass maps, you know, uh, out now strikers, one, Duke is a bit more on the left, Mavoski on a bit more on the right, but, you know, two at the top, but then they have the attacking midfielder, um, usually the boy from, 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 from Liverpool, Clarkson. He's those two, so the two strikers press the two centre-backs and then the attacking midfielder, Clarkson, steps up and he's almost on the line with him pressing the deep, uh, you know, the deep midfielder. For for Rangers, so for Celtic, that would probably be McGregor. And you go, but, but they're pressing them like, I, I sent you a couple of screenshots. It's over halfway into, it's like in the Rangers' first third. You know, they're pressing really, really high. And you saw the same thing against Hibs. Now, obviously, Hibs has a back three. But at that point, it was an attacking midfielder who was pressing up on one of the, the central centre-backs and the two the two strikers doing on, on the wide centre-backs. So again, pressing them really high up with three, with three strikers. And you go, well, that's brave. But what's kind of even braver is that, or, more, or just as stupid, is <laughs> behind that. So there are kind of two... Pivots, you know, central. So Ramadani and usually Bannon, you know, the the deeper central midfielders, essentially would would stay on the, the number eight, so the opposition's number eight. So I think it was just Tillman or Davis and, and, and this. So you essentially you have the two midfielders covering the, the number eight, and you got the three front plays really high up, but there's often a lot of space between them. And you saw this against Rangers. So when so this is what I'm saying in terms of Rangers should have done a lot more because the spaces this creates is like if 
send you another screenshot. We can maybe put some of these out as well so people can see them. But I think if if they, those front three press as high as they did against Rangers and against Sibs, and what Celtic often do in the build-up is that they keep their number eights a bit higher up. I think those, if it's Bannon and Ramadani, will stay on what we think will be Hatate and O'Reilly higher up. See that space between the attacking the three attackers and the two midfielders? It's going to be huge. And what you also get is, is this other weird thing that we're doing in these couple of games. It's like, see the wide midfielders. It's like in the force, essentially the wing backs. Yeah. They also, they don't, they don't really push up on the fullbacks. So you had these bizarre situations where Tavernier would, would come in behind the front three, but the wingback wouldn't follow him. He would just stay out wide. And the same, Barisic didn't go in, in, he doesn't invert that much, but he could have done that as well. So you have these two pockets of space in each half space between the Aberdeen midfielders and their attacking tree. So much space, and it's like this. It's kind of what we've been slightly worried about at Celtic in Europe, where it's like you have the front um, two pressing, and then there's, there's a big space down. Yeah, Aberdeen's that's turbo charge. So I think in, I'll stop in a minute. But in the build up, specifically when Celtic's playing out from the back, if Aberdeen tried to replicate this, you can see the space that Greg Taylor. Can have if he go invert. You can see what Tony Ralston will have go invert. You have the ability to, to create so many overloads in the middle of the pitch by just bringing your fullbacks in. Because I, I don't think I think the central mid, Aberdeen central midfielder will stay with their man. I think they're pressing so high up the front three that it seems like it, it, Rangers did it time after time. It was so easy, and and, and, the, and Aberdeen was kind of playing catch up to them. So I think. That's why I'm kind of saying surely they can't do this again, especially with Celtics inverted fullbacks, because there'll be so much time and space right in the middle of the pitch if they do this. So if they push up and they press us really high and we break their press, there's going to be hundreds of space as as you've highlighted. This is essentially why you want a and this is no you know, Joe Hart will be fine, but like this is why you want someone who can pick passes, right? Out of that. This is why you want to play out from the back. Yeah, and it's like, obviously, Celtics struggled a little bit with, say, Rangers' high press at the end of last season. But this Aberdeen press is more like, hi, we're here. We're not really pressing that hard. You know, it's 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 not like a coordinated press. It's not like a, you know, a, a, a Red Bull high press. You know, it's just, it felt weirdly passive. And, it, you know, and it felt... Like there was time and space to easily, quite easily pick passes b- between them. So part of me thinks like they're going to sit a bit lower and they're going to sit a bit more compact. So, so, so we'll see what they do. But I think there'll be, as you say, a lot of spaces. But then I sent you another video as well. There's, the, the weird thing is, even if you don't go inward centrally, there's there's a couple of thing, other things that's also happening. And, and the one thing is out wide in these games. So there's the video center when, when Barisic picks up the ball just inside his own half, just in uh, like out wide, and you have the, the Aberdeen kind of wing back and the right Richardson and the right center back McCrory. They're both just like on a line, but Richardson isn't even pushing up in Barisic. He's Barisic got like twenty yards before Richardson kind of makes a move. So those wing backs are weirdly passive as well. But they always seem, but as I said to earlier with, with the back tree, it's not a really compact back tree sometimes. Like that's, you know, they stay in the middle. They have three guys covering like the, the width of the six yard box, essentially. And you have your wing backs going up and down. It's so often that it's the right and left side of center backs that jumps out on the winger. Sometimes it's the wing back. But often it's the actual. Like in this case, the, the right centre back, Macquarie. But at the same time, but Barisic goes left to, I think it's Kent to his, his left winger. But then Richardson and, and Macquarie just to stay on the same vertical line. And I was like, uh, and the Richardson doesn't follow Barisic. It's, it's just really odd. I think there's like a, a real confusion about 
on those two kind of wide players in Aberdeen, mm-hmm. who's going to pick the players up? So, uh, you know, the, the clip I sent to Barish just wanders into the half space. Richardson runs out on the wing, where McCrory is as well. And then suddenly Barish is, is, is in acres of space. He gets the ball, he sends it over as a good, like, Rangers chance. And the other thing happened a bit later, for, for, like, if you go back and watch Rangers' first goal in that sense, Rangers have the ball in the center of the pitch. Sakala makes a run from the middle out wide, right? And Liam Scales just falls him out wide. And I was like, mate, you're center back. Like that's if if you were left back, you would follow him. But he follows Sakala all the way out. And what essentially happens is as soon as it's just Tillman, he's always like central midfielder, just drops into that space between Scales, who's not way out on the left hand side, and Stewart, the, the central center back. And it's like a simple pass. And suddenly you have a two against one uh, with Tillman running into the half space between Scales and Stewart and then Kolak in the middle and Stewart just kind of sells himself and then Tillman passes us into Kolak for a goal. It's just like the simplest things, like schoolboy stuff. And it was such a, as I said before, you can see why Manchester put four past him. Should have put more past him because it was so open. See, in regard to these kind of uh, points that you're raising, is that down to the player, the manager, bit of both? And could it have been talked about and coached out since the break? Yeah, uh, you'd think so. You'd think they'll look at that game and look at you know what's happening here. And against Hibs, that's a difficult thing. Even I mean, against Hibs, who's one of the better teams, because to play like essentially a three. Like five two five one as well goes to hips. You don't get tested the same way, right? But I think that first half, you know, I, I think hips is kind of the better team. And obviously they go on and Aberdeen get a late goal in the first half and they win four one. But it still wasn't quite ironed out then. But yeah, it, you at least have something where the fullbacks, no, sorry, the wingbacks would go on the winger and you would keep the centre back you wouldn't pull, get pulled out so easily, right? And that's that's what happened all the time. So it, it shouldn't be out. Like, that's quite a clear instruction, really. If the ball goes out to the winger, look, it, it needs to be um, the, the wing back. But then again, if you have inverted fullbacks like Celtic have, okay, who picks up the inverted fullback? Is it, do you move your central midfielders over? But that kind of comes back to the point that not only do you have a front true pressing, you, have, you, you don't really have a deep midfielder and then two number eights in front of him. You have an attacking midfielder that's all the way up as well. So if you buy it past three players at the same time, no matter really what you do with your your centre-backs and your wing-backs in that cooperation, if your opponent's movement is good enough, like Rangers as well, since Celtics is, you'll lose a play. You'll have too few players and you'll you give up space. So that's why I think if they go with the system, surely they go, they sit a bit lower, they sit a bit more compact, there's, there's a bit more clearly defined roles because that will stop a lot of these issues straight away. But, you know, hopefully hopefully not. Uh, question on uh, the strikers, uh, because they've been, uh, Majowski has been, you know, highly touted. Uh, apparently there's, you know, kind of interested parties around from what I've seen of them. I've liked them as a kind of finisher. Um, and then we've got uh, the Duke as well. The Duke. See two strikers, we don't come up against that often. Um, and you obviously mentioned about they might go peel off onto a centre back each and try and give space to the attacking um, midfielder. Do you think we're going to have issues like we've talked about their kind of weaknesses at the back? What 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 strengths have they got? Probably more going forward. Yeah, and with this system, what it does, I think it, it creates a lot of space defensively and lots of issues defensively. But on the flip side of that. I, th- I think it, do- it does two things in terms of because they often leave those two strikers on top. They have a central attacking midfielders, and also your two other midfielders are usually quite central as well. And as I said, because you give or the, the centre backs have to go out wide a lot, what often happens is that the wing backs stay quite high up as well. So a good example is like the. Aberdeen's open the goal at Ibrox. Because they leave these players, a lot of players high up centrally, and the wing backs 
are quite aggressive in, in pushing up to become wingers. If they win the ball, they have usually lots of players centrally and lots of players high up, more than you would expect um, another Scottish team to leave against Rangers or Celtic. That's where they get their goal from, uh, Ibrox. And once these players are let loose, I think you got some really good, like Duke, Majowski, Richardson's is pretty fast. Uh, you know, uh, Ramadani can pick a pass. The boy from Liverpool is, is, is good as well and is, is fast. So once they do win the ball, the way they, they, they kind of structured you know, the, the formation or where they are when the players, where they have players and they win the ball, they can be really diff- diff- like dangerous on the counter. I think that's where you get that amount of, you know, they have the second highest average chance quality in the league after Celtic. I think you see why. Because they can create these situations, you know, quick transitions, quick attacks with lots of players. And both Miofsky and Duke are good players. You know, especially for this level, you know, they're fast, you know, they're pretty clever. So, so I know, you know, I don't like to mention this, but it's Rafa Benitez blanket, isn't it? You leave yourself cold in terms of your feet defensively, but, you know, you're nice and cold, so you're on top because you have lots of players there. That's the blanket. Um, give me some predictions for the game. Well, um, I, I think, I, I was going to also say, the way... The other thing in terms of the way they set up, I think this kind of comes with the prediction as well. They, when they do build up from the back, Aberdeen, which I think you might see, I think what you see is Mivovsky. He drops deep a lot as well. So they do have, so it's not just a counter-attack with Aberdeen in terms of if they do try to play out from the back. He'll often drop down in deep. So I think that's something Celtic needs to, to look af, out for. Ramadan is the, the deeper midfielder. Bannon and, and Clarkson used to push up. But he comes in as well. And I think that's why you see the, the wingbacks are quite high up. Because he'll drop deep, but they'll stay up. So I think you need to be careful when Aberdeen build up as well. Because there's a couple of good patterns there really around, along that. So just want to squeeze that. Um, <laughs> predictions? I think so much comes back to have Goodwin sets up. If if he's as aggressive as this, there's going to be goals, right? I think there's going to be a lot of goals. But uh, I just don't see... It's one of those... The way Aberdeen sets up, if Celtic avoid, you know, I was going to say, personal mistakes, you know... Defensive calamities. I think the way they've been playing, the, the way that system's been working, I think they're going to unpick this Aberdeen team. Unless Aberdeen just completely changes their tactics and, and go deep. So I'm going to say, you know, 3 0 Celtic. There you go. That's what I want to hear, Christian. Let's, yeah. uh, let's start that train a rolling towards, uh, I was going to say May, but it's probably June now. I don't know. Uh, but Christian. Pleasure as always, sir, and we'll speak to you very soon. Yeah, I have to go and watch Beal Ball now for the Derby preview, so it never stops. The fun never stops. The fun never stops. Thank you, Christian. It's been a pleasure.